lengthy um, introduction this morning, uh, this evening. But uh, the question is, who is Jesus to the world and to other religions? Jesus is the most polarizing character in world history, the most world-altering person in all of history and of mankind, even to the point to where all prominent religions in history can't help but acknowledge him in one way or another. You can't get around this Jesus figure, so many of the prominent religions in the world include him in what they believe. So if you don't believe that or you don't know what they are, I'm going to go through some of them uh, as quickly as I can here. So the world, their views on Jesus is that virtually all historians and scholars around the world acknowledge that Jesus was in fact a real person and without a doubt walked the earth and was very influential person in history. Historians almost uh, also almost unanimously agree that Jesus was baptized by a man named John the Baptist and that he was crucified by Pontius Pilate. Hinduism believes that Jesus was a holy man and a wise teacher. Jesus was a God to them, but not the God. Buddhism believes, uh, they believe that Jesus was an enlightened man, and also they believe that he was a wise teacher and a holy man, but they do not believe that he is God. Uh, Jew, uh, Jewish religion believes that Jesus existed, they believe that he was born to Mary, but they do not believe that Mary was a virgin. And ancient writings acknowledge his miracles, but credit his power to Satan. They also know that he was crucified, uh, but they reject that he was resurrected, despite some of their own followers professing that he did, and they do admit that his grave was found empty. Ancient writings also state that Jesus claims to be the Messiah, but they vehemently reject him as Messiah and as God. Islam, which is a religion that was created in the 7th century, uh, made the claim that they were restoring the religion that had been corrupted by the Jews and Christians. They do believe Jesus was born of a virgin. In Islam, Jesus is held a very high regard and believe he is a major prophet and an apostle of God who performed miracles. They even believe that he ascended into heaven and will sit at the right hand of Allah, which is who they call their false god, at judgment. They reject him as God and as Messiah. Uh, Mormons believe that Jesus was conceived by the Heavenly Father and the Heavenly Mother, which is not in the Bible, and later conceived on earth by a physical act of intercourse between God and Mary. They do not believe that he is God, but rather was obedient and earned his Godhead through works. Atheists, however, do not follow the same trend as many religions. Atheists widely believe that Jesus Christ did not even exist. Because, why not? Even though all the evidence proves that he at very least was a man who walked on earth, and there is historical proof that he was there, they simply just plug the ears and say, nah, 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 I can't hear you. That's the only one that uh, makes very little sense. But the reality is, Jesus Christ, beyond a shadow of a doubt, walked this earth. And dozens upon dozens of false religions teach his teachings 
but reject him as God and as Messiah. Either that or they take his character and they change it into something that is not reflected in the Bible, but at the very least, they acknowledge him in some way or another as a prominent figure in their religion. Now, Christianity, which is what we are, what we believe, is that Jesus Christ is God in the flesh, and he created the universe and everything in it. He came to earth. In the, in the flesh, by the birth of the Virgin named Mary, we believe that he is the Messiah and he did die on the cross for our sins and resurrected and ascended into heaven. The prominence of Jesus in the history of mankind is astounding, but the reality of Jesus Christ in the Christian faith shows us the true magnitude of Jesus Christ. So let's read our text tonight, John chapter 1. Verses 1 through 5, and then skipping down to 9 through 14, which says, In the beginning was the Word, and the Word was with God, and the Word was God. He was in the beginning with God. All things were made through Him, and without Him was not anything made that was made. In Him was life, and the life of the light of men. The light shines in the darkness, and the darkness has not overcome it. Now verse 9. The true light, which gives light to everyone, was coming into the world. He was in the world, and the world was made through him, yet the world did not know him. He came to his own, and his own people did not receive him. But to all who did receive him, who believed in the name, he gave the right to become children of God, who were born not of blood, nor of the will of the flesh, nor of the will of man, but of God. And the Word became flesh and dwelt among us. And we have seen His glory, glory as the only Son from the Father, full of grace and full of truth. This evening I want to preach a sermon I've entitled, The Magnitude of Jesus Christ. Let's pray. Father God, I thank you, Lord, for your presence here tonight. God, we're asking, Lord, that your dominion, God, this dominion of your spirit, God, would take charge in this place. God, that you would uh, speak clearly to us. God, that you would have full authority, God, to speak into our hearts and our minds. God, not by my words, God, or by my intellect, God, but by your spirit and your spirit alone. In Jesus' name, amen. So first I want to speak about our need for light. Light is something we take for granted in today's day and age because we can flip a switch and the lights turn on. The lights go out, we pull out our phones, and we have a flashlight on our phones. Even living in the Tri-Cities this time of year, the sun is shining until 10 o'clock at night. And John chapter 1, verses 4 and 5 from our text says, In him was life. Him is Jesus Christ. If you didn't pick up on that, our text is speaking of Jesus. And it says, In him was life. And the life was the light of man, and the light shines in the darkness, and the darkness has not overcome it. Now, darkness is never good. Think about this. The lights go out at home. That's bad. You either can't see, you blew a fuse, or you didn't pay your bill. None of that is good. You're watching a scary movie, and the, and the lights get dark. That's bad. You know something bad is about to happen. You get up in the middle of the night to go to the bathroom. You try to fumble your way to the bathroom in the dark, and you stub your toe. Nothing good happens in the dark. 
You see, the issue with darkness is very plain. You cannot see in the dark. So when we are in the darkness, we cannot see things that we need to be able to see so that we do not stumble. This is what we are talking about with Jesus Christ. In our text, it says, The light shines in the darkness, and the darkness has not overcome it. He was the life and the light of man, so that we could see and so that we could walk in life. John chapter 11, verse 10, Jesus Christ says, But if anyone walks in the light, he stumbles, well, sorry, walks in the night, he stumbles because the light is not in him. Plain and simple, right? It's a simple truth of life. You try to walk around in the dark and you stumble over some things, even in places you're very familiar with, right? We've all done it in the middle of the night, trying to go to the bathroom, you don't want to turn on the light, hurt your eyes, and you kick stuff, you trip over things. It just doesn't go well. But Jesus is dealing with more than just walking in the dark to go to the bathroom. Jesus is not dealing with a literal light, but rather he is talking about living in the dark spiritually. You see, as we sit here in this lit room, the lights are on, the sun is shining through the windows. As we sit here in this well-lit room, you could be sitting in the darkness. Luke, uh, Luke chapter 1, verse 79 tells us that Jesus came to give light to those who sit in darkness and in the shadow of death to guide our feet into the way of peace. You see, it can be well lit in here, but we can still be sitting in the dark. The darkness is not a lack of light bulbs. It's not a lack of candles. It's a lack of Christ within us. The text from Luke that I just read speaks in the shadow of death. This is resembling the death of darkness, of spiritual darkness, which resembles the death within us, a spiritual death that leads to an eternal darkness and an eternal death. Matthew chapter 8, verse 12. Those who did not have faith in Jesus, Jesus says, will be thrown into the outer darkness, and in that place there will be weeping and gnashing of teeth. Again, darkness associated with death. This is eternal death. This is a darkness that Jesus came to set us free from. This is the darkness that in verse 5 from our text says cannot overcome the light of Christ. Praise God for that. We desperately need the light of Christ because without him, we are dead in our darkness for all eternity. And it only gets worse from here. John chapter 8 verse 12 Jesus says, I am the light of the world. Whoever follows me will not walk in darkness, but will have the light of life. You see, Jesus talks about a lot about, lightness, about light and dark. And he always associates them with life and death. The light of life is speaking of eternal life in heaven, but the opposite, which is darkness, is speaking of death and eternity in hell. And we desperately, each and every one of us, need the light of Jesus in our lives. But the issue is that much of the world and much of modern religion minimalizes the power and the light of Jesus Christ. 
You see, even in the Christian world, this tends to be an issue. We acknowledge Jesus, but truly we're only experiencing Jesus light, if you will. It's like, y'all, I know what I'm talking about. You download the app and it's the free version. You only get half the features. Much of the Jesus that is spoken about in the world, in the other religions of the world, and even in some Christian churches today, are only experiencing Jesus' light, and that J is with a lowercase. You see, Jesus, he's a lot of different things to a lot of different religions and to the world. But if we're not careful, even within Christianity, we can minimalize who Jesus is. We can use him as our scapegoat, or as our wish maker, uh, Mark chapter 10, verse 45 says, For even the Son of Man came not to be served, but to serve, and to give his life as a ransom for many. You see, we can take Jesus and change him in our mind from a servant to a slave. There's a difference. We tend to use him to get ahead, living life however we want and pursuing whatever we die would desire because we say, as many people say, well, Jesus died for that. You see, there's a lot of people in today's church world that they go out and they sin all they want to sin and they just go, well, Jesus died for that. No, it's not how it works. There's the name it and claim it. If you want it in the name of Jesus, grab it. Or as I like to say, blab it and grab it. We turn Jesus into a, a, a wish maker. We turn Jesus into a slave in our own minds. And we quickly forget some of the other things that Jesus says. Matthew chapter 6, verse 33, But seek first the kingdom of God and his righteousness, and all these things will be added to. Now this is another one. The prosperity gospel will tell you that this verse means accept Jesus into your life and get good stuff. Right, But we tend to forget what Jesus truly means by seeking first the kingdom of God. First means first. Right? This isn't, you know, my, my son plays t-ball and everybody bats, everybody gets on base, everybody scores, everybody wins, everybody gets a snack at the end of the game. They both teams come in first and everybody... That's not how it works in the real world. There is only one first place. There is only one top priority, and Jesus is saying it's either the kingdom of God and his righteousness or something else. What does Jesus say? You cannot serve two masters. He says you are either for me or you're against me. And the reality is that when we seek first, there is only one first, the kingdom of God and his righteousness, it requires us to live differently. Matthew 16, 25 says, For whoever would save his life will lose it, but whoever loses his life for my sake will find it. This is speaking of personal sacrifice on many different levels. Jesus, those are the words of Jesus Christ. He's telling us if you want to live life and you want to live it truly, you have to give it up to me and I will give you the real deal. We want life that Jesus has for us, but we cling to the life we had or desired in the world. You see, we also tend to pervert the grace of Jesus Christ in a, into something that he never intended it to be. This is commonly done through Ephesians chapter 2, verses 8 through 9, which says, For by grace you have been saved through faith. And this is not your own doing. 
It is the gift of God, not a result of works, so that no one may boast. This is a beautiful text. It's a wonderful promise telling us that it is through faith we are saved. It's by the blood of Jesus Christ, and nothing we can ever do will earn that. But people tend to take this, and they put it into what they call the hyper-grace theology. And so what that means is they say, Jesus died for our sins, so live it up. And just ask the big guy for forgiveness when you're done. But that's not what the rest of the Bible says. You see, it's not by our works that we are saved. It's not by our own righteousness that we are saved. But the Bible clearly calls us to work hard and live righteously. Romans chapter 6 verses 1 through 2 says, What shall we say then? Are we to continue in sin that grace may abound? By no means. How can we who died to sin still live in it? Paul is telling the Romans, listen, just because we've been set for, just because we've been forgiven of our sins by the blood of Jesus Christ does not mean that we should continue to us to sin. He's saying we've died to our sins. How can we live in it? Hebrews 10:26 says, "For if we go on sinning deliberately, after receiving the knowledge of truth, there no longer remains a sacrifice for sin." Now there's something important to acknowledge here is that the word deliberately is the key word. If we know the love and authority of Christ, yet still choose to live a life of sin, then we have rejected Christ's sacrifice if we refuse to live as a new creation in him. That's what that text is saying. That if we receive the knowledge of Jesus Christ, the gospel, the, the, the sin-cleansing gospel into our lives, but we refuse to try to change, as a, to live as a new creation, then we are rejecting Christ's sacrifice. 2 Corinthians 5.17 tells us, Therefore, if anyone is in Christ, he is a new creation. The old has passed away. Behold, the new has come. That is clearly telling us that we are to be a different person. And maybe we desire to live righteously for Christ and seek first his kingdom, but we still minimize Jesus. Well, how can we do that? Right, Pastor, you just told me that all these things are how we minimize Christ, but I don't feel like I do those. I, I live righteously for Christ. At least I try to. I seek first his kingdom. I'm serving in the church. I'm witnessing to people. How can I possibly still be minimalizing Christ? Well, I'm glad you asked. You see, sometimes we undervalue his power and might and continue to struggle with things he never wanted us to struggle with. You see, we believe Jesus died for our sins. We serve in the local church. We share the gospel, but we still live in bondage to so much in life. Listen to me, church. Many of us live a life and we say, I'm saved. I, I, I'm confident in my salvation. I'm saved, but I'm still emotional. I'm saved, but I'm still broke. I'm saved, but I'm still addicted. I'm saved, but I'm still depressed. I'm saved, but I'm still anxious. I'm saved, but I'm still self-conscious. I'm saved, but I'm still suicidal. I'm saved, but I'm still lustful. I'm saved, but fill in the blank. 
See, we say I'm saved, but I still got a lot to deal with. I still got a lot on my plate. But listen to me, Isaiah 53, 5, this is what it says about Jesus Christ. It says, but he was pierced for our transgressions. He was crushed for our iniquities. Upon him was the chastisement that brought us peace. And his wounds, we are healed. Yeah, Jesus died for our sins. That's what that text says. He was pierced for our transgressions. He was crushed for our iniquities. And praise God for that. And even that would be more than fair. But he didn't stop there. Listen to me, church. He didn't stop there. Upon him was the chastisement that brought us peace. And with his wounds, we are healed. You see, a lot of Christians, they don't really take that part seriously. Jesus died for our sins, but he did not stop there. He wants to give you peace. He wants you to experience healing, both physically and mentally. He came and lived and served and died and resurrected and ascended back into heaven for that too. You see, there is so much that we as Christians live with that we simply are refusing to put at the feet of Jesus Christ, and that is why we still live with it. You see, we forget, or we minimalize, or we simply just do not know about the magnitude of Jesus Christ. Jesus Christ, he's not our magic genie. He is not our free pass to sin. He is almighty, all-powerful God in the flesh. Let's look at our text again. John chapter 1, verses 1 through 5. When John writes this, he's speaking of the Word, and the Word is Jesus Christ. That's who he means when he says the Word. It says, In the beginning was the Word, and the Word was with God, and the Word was God. He was in the beginning with God, and all things were made through him, and without him was not anything made that was made. In him was life, and the life was the light of men. The light shines in the darkness, and the darkness has not overcome it. You see, the Word was Jesus Christ. That's who John is talking about. And, and with that, I don't have too much time to get into this part of it, but John wrote it that way specifically to reach the Greeks. And I, have a, I have another sermon where I explained that a little bit more, so you can go back and listen to it if you want to. But that is who he's talking about when he says the word he's speaking of Jesus. And our text states that Jesus was much more than a tool or pawn of God. But rather, he existed before the earth was created. He existed with God. And yet, what does our text say? He is God. Jesus Christ is God. And verse 3 tells us that not only was he there at the beginning of all things, but he created all things. All things. Say that with me. All things. Anybody know anything that's not included in all things? All of it. Which means without him, nothing can exist. That is Jesus Christ. Jesus 
is God. Jesus is the creator of the heavens and the earth, and Jesus is the creator of you. The Bible calls him Elohim, which means the almighty God. That is Jesus. Verse 4 says, In him was life, and the life was the light of men. Our fullness of life is found through God Almighty, through Jesus Christ. That even despite our sin, and we all have plenty of it, none of us are exempt. That despite our sin, despite our darkness within us, that He can still shine in and through our lives. John chapter 1 verse 12 tells us from our text, But to all who did receive Him, who believed in His name, He gave the right to become children of God. Wow, think about that. To receive Christ, we become children of God. You know, there's no qualifiers there. There's no, to all who did receive him and didn't do this, that, or the other sin, didn't cross this line, to all who received him and didn't live this way, as long as they were good. No, it doesn't say that. It says to all. Again, all. We are all included in all. To all who did receive him, who believed in his name, he gave the right to become children of God. That's you and I, should we put our lives into his hands. The creator of the universe, he created you. And the greatest miracle that Jesus Christ ever did was the salvation of a sinful person. Anything less than that is minimal in comparison, and he does a lot of amazing things. And he desires to take us, he desires for us, sorry, to take on his nature in likeness of him. Jesus Christ calls us to live and be like him. Ephesians chapter 4 verse 22 tells us to put off your old self which belongs to your former manner of life and is corrupt through the deceitful desires and to be renewed in the spirit of your minds and to put on the new self created after the likeness of God in true righteousness and holiness. This text is talking about a change. It's talking about a renewal. It's talking about a redemption. Paul says to put off your old self. Everything that was part of who you used to be, it's gone. Put on the the renewal of the spirit of your minds and put on the new self created after the likeness of God in true righteousness and holiness. The old self. The old self may have been emotional. The old self may have been broke. The old self may be addicted. The old self may be depressed, anxious, self-conscious, suicidal, lustful. The list goes on. The issues of the old self, all the stuff that you dealt with and your sin condemning you. Jesus died to take away your sin, but he also died to take away all of your old self. That we can be renewed in the spirit of our minds. That we can be made new by Jesus Christ. The likeness of God. 
That's what that text says. Be renewed in the spirit of your minds and put on the new self created after the likeness of God in true righteousness and holiness. The word of God tells us that we are created new to live in the righteousness of God. The likeness of God. The likeness of God is not emotional. The likeness of God is not broke. The likeness of God is not addicted. The likeness of God is not depressed. The likeness of God is not anxious or self-conscious. The likeness of God is not suicidal. The likeness of God is not lustful. And the list goes on. He wants to set you free from these things. Sin is our greatest issue as mankind, but he didn't stop there. If we believe he can heal us of our sins, what did I say? The, heal, the healing of our sins is the greatest miracle that Jesus Christ did. So if we believe that he can heal us of our sins, then he can, without a doubt, take away our other issues should we let him. But listen to me. He doesn't, he doesn't force salvation upon anybody. We know that. He's given us free will to choose to follow him. And the same is true for our issues. We can give him our sins, but we can hang on to our issues. If we believe he can heal us of our sins then he can, without a doubt, take away our other issues. John chapter 1, verse 14 from our text tells us, And the Word, who is Jesus Christ, became flesh and dwelt among us. And we have seen his glory, glory as the only Son from the Father, full of grace and truth. Jesus Christ, God in the flesh, full of glory, creator of the earth and the sky and the stars and our complex earth and solar system. I'm not even close to smart enough to begin to understand all of these things, but he spoke them into existence. And Jesus Christ, the creator of you, unique, specific, Designed by God, you. And he died for you. So you could be set free from your sins and go to heaven. But he didn't stop there. So that you could, beyond that, live in peace. A lot of the world today, they're struggling for peace. So that you could have your body and your mind healed, renewed, living in, as a new creation through the power of Jesus Christ. Let's bow our heads and close our eyes this evening.